Good morning, Urbana Church. We're excited to worship with you. Are you ready to celebrate the King of Kings and Lord of Lords this morning? If you're able, just get to your feet as we worship the one who deserves all of our praise. Amen. Shall be your peace. 
how we are on the winning side when we choose Jesus. We are on the winning team when we choose Him every time, even when it doesn't look like we're winning. We're on the winning side. And I hear Him see, I just hear Him, someone here is choosing not to be on the winning team. And if you knew who was winning, wouldn't you want to pick that side? Wouldn't you want to pick the one who's going to win? We know the one who's going to win. So let's stop messing around and dabbling on the side that we know has already lost because death has defeated and conquered the grave. So I just encourage you this morning, if you've been playing for the wrong team, if you're on the wrong side, to give your whole life, not just the parts you want to, but every single part, give your whole life to Jesus. He will do exceedingly and abundantly more than you can ever do on your own. The Bible says, seek first the kingdom of heaven, then all things will be added. And I think a lot of times we get into a habit of just trying to do all the other things first. And then when we got time, we'll seek first the kingdom. And it's an upside down kingdom, amen. And that's not how it's supposed to be. First we seek the kingdom of heaven, then everything that you've been praying for, all those things and dreams that you have, though and that's when the things will be added. So let's raise a hallelujah this morning and turn to the side that always wins, the side that's always right, the one who's always going to win every single battle where the tomb is empty. That's the team that I want to be on. That's the team that is going to bring home first place. Amen.
Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to have you. I think it's when I invest in the, the buzzer, like time's up. Well, good morning. Let's prepare our tithe and offering. If you have, uh, if you have giving today, if you want to prepare that offering envelope from the chairs in front of you. If not, there's not one there. Wave your hand around. Mike will help you out right there in the middle. He also has, uh, Mike also has prayer cards. If you're interested in, in having the church pray for you about anything at all. Go ahead and ask for one of those prayer cards from Mike, fill it out, give it back to him, and we'll uh, include that in our Monday night prayer. I pray over those things. So as a family of faith, we want to make sure that we're covering one another in prayer. How many know the Bible says, the Bible says that we're to bear one another's burdens? How many know that? The first step of bearing one another's burdens is that we pray. That's never the end. Because if you can do things beyond prayer, we do those things. But we always pray first. Amen. So if you have a prayer need, wave your hand around. Mike will give you a prayer card. But other than that, let's prepare our tithe and offering this morning. It's good to have you. We appreciate your giving, your faithfulness uh, to the church with that. So I'm going to pray over your giving. If you have something, you can bring it down this morning. Lord, we thank you as we continue our worship today and our giving. I pray, Lord, that, that we are always living a life of faith and trust in you. Lord, as the scriptures teach us about giving, Lord, that we walk in faith in those things, knowing that we're confirming that you are our provider in all things. And we thank you for that, the times that you've made ways where there seems to be no way, the times that you've gone in front of us and you provided for us. This day, our daily bread, and we thank you for that. So as we give today, we're just confirming once again that you're always the good father that we know that you are. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, we all say, amen. So if you have something, you can bring it down to the baskets this morning. Let me jump in on, on some uh, announcements for you. Uh, 21 days of prayer that we began the year with ended yesterday. So we completed our three weeks of 21 days of prayer. By the way, I thank you. Uh, for your dedication in times of prayer. Again, we're a pray first church and we don't do anything without praying first. And we always kick up our year with 21 days of prayer, consecrating ourselves and our church before the Lord for all sorts of different things. But that ended yesterday, but because we're a praying church, 
obviously we're not done praying. So uh, tomorrow night kicks off our normal cycle of Monday night prayer. The church is open every Monday uh, from 6 to 7 that we gather together as a church and pray. So if you've never been here for Monday night prayer, I encourage you to come on out and be a part of that tomorrow night. But uh, it, it's uh, here every single week, and we believe in the power of prayer, not because prayer itself, but we believe in a powerful God who hears our prayer and responds to them. So Monday night prayer tomorrow. Uh, starting next Sunday, this is sort of a new thing. We did this in the past, but this is a new regular thing for our church. So if you have a fifth through 12th grader, we have our normal Wednesday night youth hangout nights, the second and fourth Wednesdays. But starting in February, which is next Sunday, the first Sunday night of every month, we have Youth Hangout Square. So that's 6 o'clock next Sunday, they have the sanctuary. So we're going to have a service just for them. Worship, a word, uh, a time, of, of, we'll have some food for them. But every month, Sunday, first Sunday of the month, 6 p.m. right here for 5th through 12th graders. So uh, make them aware of that. Uh, have them bring some friends out. So we hope to see everybody next Sunday night at 6 o'clock. Also kicking off in February is our next semester of small groups. What I'd like to do is real quick highlight the small groups that are happening. Uh, by the way, there's a, a board on the back there. This is posted back there, so go back and take a picture of it. But let me uh, highlight our leaders once again. So kicking off small groups in the month of February, first we got a men's group with Judah. Judah, wave your hand around. Judah, they meet the fourth Friday of every month right here at the church at 7 o'clock. So be a part of that. Uh, Samara and Tori, wave your hand around. There is a ladies group. They meet the first and third Thursday of every month at 7 o'clock here at the church. Bill and Patsy, wave your hand around. That's Joy Fellowship. That's, that's for the older generations of our church. They meet the fourth Sundays every month at 5 o'clock here at the church. Uh, Christine, who is not here because she's on the cruise somewhere where it's warm, all right? Christine's group, they meet uh, the second Mondays of every month at 11 a.m. at the church. And then the last Saturday every month, Margaret, wave your hand around, the ladies meet here at 9 a.m. for coffee in the morning on those Saturdays, and they just do whatever the ladies do when they drink coffee. But anyways, um, that's one sort of the small groups that are happening. Again, these are posted on the board in the back, and there's one more extra small group. Teddy, wave your hand around. This was sort of after we got this together, but she put together a small group that meets weekly and reading scripture together and talking about there's like a yearly scripture reading plan that they're going to do together. So if you're interested in that, see Teddy. So again, uh, small groups are an important part of our church, so uh, make sure that you jump in on one of those. And there's one more small group. I mean, we call it a small group, but it's a, a Sunday before church thing. Starting February 11th, so two weeks from today, Bill, wave your hand around again. Bill is going to be hosting a pre-Sunday morning small group class on finances, financial purpose, the biblical basis of money, uh, not only a good stewardship, but God's view of money and things like that. And that is Sunday mornings at 9.15 in the morning. It will go to about 10 minutes before church starts. And that goes for 10 weeks starting February 11th. So if you have questions about that, bill and there's also a sign-up sheet in the back for that particular one so again lots of things happening with small groups if that was way too much information you can talk to me afterwards and i'll break it down for you a little more uh let's see oh yeah one more thing 
Love Your Marriage is coming up March the 1st, Friday night from 6 to 9 p.m. It's our yearly marriage conference right here at the church. We provide dinner. We provide child care. We got three sessions on strengthening your marriage, which we believe in. That we, your marriages should be strong. Amen? And nothing more than the enemy would like to break down the family unit. And he'll start right with your marriage. So those nights are dedicated to you who are married, to strengthen your marriage, to grow together, and make sure that we are uh, living out everything God intends for marriage to be. So again, March the 1st, 6 to 9 p.m., there's a sign-up sheet back for that because, well, we're getting food, so we know how many people are coming. But we look forward to that night, so make sure you're a part of that. All right. I always feel better when I'm past announcements. Amen. All right, if you've got your Bibles, get them out. Uh, Proverbs chapter 3. By the way, did you all know that we believe in you? Yeah. Now, we, again, I say that. We believe in you because we believe in God. And God can do anything. And because we believe he can do anything, we believe he can do anything in you. So if nothing else, if you remember nothing else I say today, have courage because God is with you. God is for you. God is working for your good. Nothing can separate you from his love. Nothing. And then all things are possible to him who believes. So be, be encouraged today. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what you came to church with in your heart, but be encouraged today. All right? So Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Let's just read that. It says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your path. Trust is a big word. It can take a long time to build trust. It takes just one simple moment to lose it all. Trust is a big word. Trust, though, is bound up in faith. When I say I trust the Lord, what I'm saying is I have faith in him. Faith, faith is active belief, I believe, but faith always involves trust. And the proverb, the wisdom of the proverb is your heart, in other words, who you are, that you trust God with it. And when it comes to living life then, I don't lean on my own understanding but in everything that I do, I acknowledge him. In other words, I put him in the middle of it. In other words, I say, okay, in all the different ways of life I can choose, I trust you. I trust you, God. And because I trust you, then I'm going to say your way is the best way. I got a lot of options. But to acknowledge God in all my ways, I'm saying, God, I'm going to believe your way is the best way. Now watch this. Even when I don't understand it even when I don't get it, even when it literally means faith to live it, right? And when you acknowledge him like that, he's going to make your path straight. Now, that does not mean, don't think it means perfect life because it doesn't mean perfect life. It doesn't mean there'll be no ups and downs and bumps and bruises and, and speed bumps on the way. But what it means is in your heart as you grow, he'll make your path straight in the ways of righteousness, which is what he desires. So we got to learn to trust him. Again, it's a big word. It's hard, but you must. 
Because to live in long-term discipleship, it's a word I say in here a million times, long-term discipleship, you'll only stay with him if you trust him. And you'll only stay with him when you are consistently choosing day by day, Lord, your way is the best way, therefore I choose to live your way. Even when I don't understand it, even when in the moment it's not easy, even when it's faith alone that I'm following you. So trusting God is vitally important. And I want to sort of jump back into a little bit of what I talked about last week. I don't recap often, but I wanted to today because I want to reset uh, where we're talking about, where we're going to get to where I want to end up today. See, remember Jesus when he encountered the the centurion and the centurion's servant was sick and he was like, let's let's go see him. And and the centurion was like, just say the word and it'll happen, remember? You don't even have to come to my place. But just say the word, and I believe it'll happen. And Jesus said, man, that is great faith. Great faith is, is hearing what God has said, or great faith can turn into seeing what God has done. Great faith is also, what has he asked me to do? Great faith is also, what has he asked me not to do? And trusting him in his word. And learning to follow in that kind of faith. See, uh, Lila, if you'll throw that first slide up for me this morning. It says, the heart of God is the why behind all that he does. Now, let, let me explain what I mean by that. A lot of believers, when you get into Christianity enough, you know a whole bunch of the what. Because I'm a Christian, I should do this. And because I'm a Christian, I should not do this, right? How many know what I'm talking about? There is a way of life that you're called to live. That's the what. But if you really want to live those in the proper way, you got to catch the heart of God, which is the why. So one of the best questions you can ask, Lila, throw that second screen up for me. One of the best questions you can ask is, what is God's heart in this? What's God's heart in this? Why is God doing this? Or why did he say this? Or why does he ask me to do this? Or why does he ask me not to do this? What's his heart? Because the more you catch his heart, the more the what makes sense. Now, let me backtrack. You can't live the Christian life only when it makes sense. You have to learn to obey. Straight out of the gate. But it's also important to draw near to the heart of God to start to grow in understanding of him. They they eventually need to dovetail together quite a bit. So, uh, let's say I'm new in the faith I'll just throw out something simple. And and we know the scriptures would teach us that we shouldn't be deceitful, right? Now, let's say I don't understand why. I need to learn to obey anyways and start to change. If if I was practicing deceit in some way, I've got to bring it in and obey and say, look, a life of faith is not a life of deceit. That's a thing I shouldn't do. And i got to learn to obey straight out as best as possible with the help of the Holy Spirit. But it's a very good idea while I'm doing that to say, but hey, God, why is deceit not of your heart? 
Because it's in that you begin to grow. See, when, when you get saved, you want to use the church, when you give your life to God, he gets your heart. But once he gets your heart, you need to start drawing close to his heart. In other words, remember, the basis of salvation is relationship. That's the whole business is relationship. If it's relationship, then why wouldn't you draw near to the heart of God? We have a whole lot of Christians that are trying to live the what without trying to catch the why behind the what, and that's the heart of God. The heart of God is the goal of relationship, ultimately. That when you see that God has done something or he's doing something or he says to do this or he says don't do this, you begin to grow in an understanding. And what happens is is, it's not just knowledge, but your heart that is being shaped and transformed and changed. Your desires change. how How you see things change. So the example I gave last week, I'll just say it again. It's a really easy one. So early on in my Christian faith, when I'm reading the Sermon on the Mount, it gets to that whole business of turning the other cheek. Have you ever seen that? You slapped on one side, turned the other also. I'm just like, nope. Nope. I said last week, back then you hit me in the face, you better duck. Nope. I'm not turning the other side of my head if you just hit me. Are you crazy? You, you know why? I saw the what, but I wasn't catching the heart of God. But God, why? Ah, now, now you open up the door for God to change your heart. See what I'm getting at? That is why the Christian faith is a long journey because you don't get the heart of God with an easy button overnight. It takes long-term walking of relationship with him to catch his heart. And it's okay. Listen, it is okay. As a matter of fact, it's very good to ask the question, why? Why, God? Again, you're not the annoying little kid that never shuts up. You're not ever like that to him. He wants to draw you in by those kind of questions so then he can wrestle with you and begin to work at you to change your heart. I don't want a family of faith that just tries to live the what without the why. Because relationship is missing in that. So what I desire, and by the way, the, the why of God, the why of God always has something to do with new life. Always has something to do with new life. It always has something to do with abundant life. Amen. So if it's not being deceitful, ultimately that is connected to the abundance of life of freedom from sin that God is growing in you. Turning the other cheek ultimately has to do with the freedom from sin, but then living a life free from it. Not just being forgiven, but but living free. These always are connected to abundant life and new life in some way. What I want to do today is I want to give you an example in the Bible of a group of people who missed the heart of God. They were really good with the what, really good with the what, but they entirely missed the why so much when Jesus was right in front of them, they didn't like him. Let's talk about the Pharisees today. I'm going to give you a little background on the Pharisees because I think it's important that you see really what their motivation was versus how things turned out. So let me tell you about the Pharisees real quick. So if you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you will find different groups of people that ended up kind of being opposed to Jesus. You had the Sadducees, 
You have the Pharisees, you have the teachers of the law, you have the scribes, groups of people that ended up being opposed to Jesus, maybe even called the enemies of Jesus, and Pharisees were part of that group. Uh, the Pharisees could be a, a, a scribe or teacher of the law, but not all Pharisees were. Uh, they were a separate group to the Sadducees. They were two competing groups within Judaism for different ways of viewing uh, the Old Testament scriptures. But the, the Pharisees uh, were a group of people, a sect within Judaism, that grew out of the Babylonian captivity, which you see at the end of the Old Testament. And what their desire was, was to come into strict, strict obedience to the law of Moses. In other words, they sought to live purified before God by strict observance to the law. As a matter of fact, the word Pharisee means separated, come out from. Uh, mostly middle-class businessmen, some of them were the leaders of the local synagogues. But there were a group of people, men, who believed that if they lived by strict observance to the law, then God would intervene on their behalf and restore Israel as in the days of David and so forth, nation-state, powerful nation-state, and so forth. And it grew out of this thing uh, that you see this, this sort of overarching story in the Bible of uh, exile. They found themselves in exile in Babylon because of their own sin, and God judged them. And, and they obviously didn't want to be there. They realized they were there because of their own sin. So they thought the way out of this is to purify ourselves. And when we purify ourselves, God will see us. He'll bring us out of exile and bring us into what God intends for us to be this whole time. As a matter of fact, they were so strict in trying to live the law, uh, they, they had what they came with it, the oral law. And within the oral law, it was, it was uh, kind of like some of the exegesis of the law, but uh, came with it, they developed what they call fence laws. So it's kind of like this. If, if they knew in the law it said not to do this, they would develop a bunch of laws to go around that so you'd never get close to that. They're called fence laws. To the tune of well, well, well over a thousand rules and regulations they tried to follow to keep pure to the law of Moses. Think about it. There's a lot. There's a scripture in Deuteronomy chapter 6 talking about uh, you know, love the Lord your God with our heart and, and Lord our, our God is one. And tie it on your arms and, and on your foreheads. They literally had what were called phylacteries, these little uh, leather boxes that had four passages of scripture, two from Exodus and two from Deuteronomy, and they'd literally tie it on their head and tie it on their arm, consecrating themselves to the law of Moses and following it to the best that they could. They were strict observers to the law. Now, I want you to think about that for a second. In their motivation, they wanted to be pure before God. What's wrong with that? Nothing. They wanted to live in strict obedience to the law, which is what they had. What's wrong with that? Nothing. They wanted to do it in such a way that God would intervene on their behalf. Is there anything wrong with that? No. And they, and they wanted to do it so much that they created a bunch of systems in order to keep it. Well, we can maybe question some of that, but, but their motivation wasn't really wrong. They wanted God to come down and intervene. 
But here's the thing. God did. And he didn't respond to their religious purity. God had always intended to intervene. And Jesus came. Now watch this. And Jesus begins to live in front of them. The kingdom of God begins to teach and and do the things that he did. And they became his adversary, his enemy. They were part of the group of people that put him on the cross. The Pharisees were trying to protect the law. They were were trying their best to protect the law. Again, were, were separated. They actually kind of thought themselves to be the true Israel and sort of tried to be the gatekeepers of that. But the heart of God was right in front of them, and they missed it. See, listen to me. You can be very good with the what and still miss the heart. Now, let me just say this. I'm all about holiness in the life of holiness. I'm all about understanding not only forgiveness of sin, but living a life free from it. I'm all about it. I'm all about purifying yourself. I'm all about the separatedness of living the Christian life in this world. But with it, what I'm all about is the relational growth of learning the heart of God while you're doing that. You see what I'm getting at? Because here's the lesson of the Pharisees. Throw that last slide up, Lila, if you would, please. The Pharisee lesson, ritual without the heart of God ends up meaningless. Think about that. So I mean, I have kids. If you're a good parent, you will have some semblance of rules and regulations for your kid to live by. In other words, it's never a free-for-all. Right? Amen? Kids, it's good for you. Listen to your mom and dad. Now, how many of you have ever as a parent said, I want you to do this, and your kid said, why? Ever been there? And how many ever said back, because I said so? How many ever been there with me? Okay. Nothing wrong with that, because they have to learn obedience. But listen to me. Sometimes it's very good to explain the why. They start to catch the heart. There's a reason. And sometimes they just simply need to obey. I get it. I raised three kids. They're out of the house now. Thank God they're, they're doing well, right? I've had my challenge just, just like y'all. My family was not perfect. And there were times I'm just like, listen to me, just shh, and just do what I tell you to do. You know, the, my son Ryan who comes here, he's not here today. I don't tell stories about my kids. But you know what the biggest fights I ever had with him? He's my oldest. We were eating dinner. And Margaret made whatever she made. But I just remember part of the dinner was peas. And I was like, dude, you're eating your dinner. Not all of it. I'm not, I wasn't like, if it's on your plate, you have to shove it down there. But you are going to have some of those peas. So just, just eat it and get it over with. Nope. And I'm telling you what, the biggest, the biggest strong fight I ever had with that boy was making me like three peas. <laughs> It had nothing to do with the peas because you can mash those things up, throw it in, and hit the drink, and you never tasted them. It was a battle of the will right there with that boy. I don't know how old he was, maybe nine or so. It was a battle of the will. It might not have been that old. Over peas. I wasn't interested in explaining the why. Do what I told you to do. Or you and me, buddy, it's not going to go well here in about five minutes. You know what I'm talking about? 
can't always be like that. Sometimes you got to tell the why. So they can grow in their understanding and not just living by a bunch of rules. Remember, God is not the cosmic rule maker trying to take away all your fun and your freedoms. He wants, listen to me, you got to catch this. He wants what's best for you. And he knows what's best because he made the whole thing. And his ways are higher and his thoughts are higher. And sometimes when we don't get it, yes, we have to simply obey. But at the same time, I encourage you so much, chase the heart of God and know him. Because some of the what will start to come into focus. You see what I'm getting at? Let's read a story about this. John chapter 8 and verse number 1. There's a couple of different places we can go, but let's start with John chapter 8, and we'll see what time we have. John chapter 8 and verse number 1. It says, uh, but Jesus went out to the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again to the temple. And all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. So this is happening in a crowd of people, right? And the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, placing her in, in the midst and they did this to put on a show. They didn't do this privately. They did it when everybody was watching, right? So here come the Pharisees with the woman that was caught in adultery. And by the way, we won't get into this, but where's the guy at? There's a whole big business about they didn't bring the dude, but they just brought the lady. We'll talk about that another time. Verse 4, and they said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. How they caught her, we don't know, but she has. Now, here comes the what of the law. Now, in the law, Moses commanded us, commanded us to stone such women. That's the what. They had legal standing in the law to take this woman outside the city and kill her for this. And the guy, too, which, again, where's he at? But they brought the woman there. And they wanted to trap him. They did it in front of a bunch of people. So they asked him, so what do you say? And they said this to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. And Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. There's a lot, a lot of speculation about what he was writing there. And as they continued to ask him, in other words, they kept bugging him, like, like he was going to try to ignore the question maybe. He stood up and he said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more, he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, because they had some wisdom maybe. And Jesus uh, was left alone with the woman standing before him. See, what happens is, we'll come back to what he says to her in a second. What happens is when you are so intent on the what without catching the heart of God, A, you become very legalistic and you become very judgmental because you're missing the heart of God. It's easy to try to drop the rules on other people. It's easy to do that. Well, the Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says. My question is when people do that, okay, yeah, I know the Bible says what's God's heart there. 
Well, what is he getting at? What's the reason? If you miss his heart, it's just a bunch of rules. But watch what Jesus says to her. Jesus stood up again and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And, and, and as you know, and, and I know you've heard this before, uh, notice he told the, the Pharisees and those there, if you're without sin, you can throw the stone. They swore. And in their minds, they, well, they know I'm not, I'm not, so they walked away. The one who was without sin that could have thrown the stone was still standing there with her. And notice he didn't throw a stone at her. But what he said to her is this. She said, no one, Lord, who's condemned me? No one. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Oh, there's the heart of God. Right there is the heart of God. The rules can be in place to warn us and, and, and help us understand what it means to live the Christian life, kind of like the bumpers on the lane of, of, of a bowling lane. But the heart of God is not to condemn you. The heart of God is to bring you life. And then notice then that Jesus is not like an easy way of looking at things because Jesus said, now go and sin no more. He didn't leave her sin alone. That's okay. They didn't condemn you. Keep on going. I'm not going to condemn you now, but I'm giving you opportunity to leave your life of sin. There's the heart of God. See, I'm getting at the what was stone her. The heart of God is, let's give her life. An opportunity to find life and live in abundant life. That's the heart of God. That's the reason. Another example. We'll do another one real quick. Matthew chapter 9. One more interaction with, with the Pharisees that's along these lines. Matthew 9 and verse number 10. And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, you know, people that are stuck, stuck in legalism, they're always watching what everybody else is doing. They can't wait to call you out for it, tell you why you're wrong, Right? And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? In other words, why would he make himself unclean is what they're asking. And uh, Jesus heard this. And when he heard this, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not what? Sacrifice, rules, and ritual. I desire mercy. For I have not called, come to call the righteous, but sinners. And he's quoting that uh, mercy, not sacrifices, is from Habakkuk, chapter 6, verse number 6. He's drawn from the prophet. That was questioning what, what the Israelites were doing. Why are you doing this stuff? All of your rules and stuff is empty because... There's no heart. There's no heart there. Your heart needs to be full because you're catching the heart of God. Because you're desiring relationship with him. 
And in this long-term discipleship, you're growing. Your perspectives are changing. Your desires are changing. And you're starting to see why some of this what was put in place. Why is the big deal to be deceitful in this one little thing? Catch the heart of God there. Why is it a big deal to turn your other cheek? Catch the heart of God there. That's what it means to live in relationship with him. Let me tell you something. I'm your pastor, but I can't do that for you. I can't, I can't do that for you. I can teach, but I can't get you close learning and growing the heart of God. That is a personal life that you live. You. And nobody can do that for you. Nobody can. That is why in our relationship with God, it's intensely personal. That is why when you stand before him someday, it's just you. It's personal. Personal. But understand then, if God is not this big angry old man in the sky and he's not the cosmic rule maker just trying to take away all your fun and freedom, if what he is is a creator God that made you in such a way to know you personally, that's what he wants. That's what he desires. You see... And in that relationship, he wants you to catch his heart in such a way that you start to see with new eyes and hear with new ears what it really means to live freedom in him. Freedom. Because of the forgiveness of your life. New creation, living out. Will never happen unless you pursue him personally. A way of life. So, I want you all to live holy, pure before him. I want you all to stay away from sin and don't participate. I, all, I want you all to stand up in the face of temptation. Amen. But I want you all to pursue a relationship with Jesus. Because that's where it's at. Because some of the things that growing as a Christian I struggled with Either this is what you need to do or this is what you shouldn't do. That struggle has been melting away for a long time because I'm catching his heart. And it's not just, oh, you mean I can't do that, whatever it is. It's, no, I don't want to do that. Something's changing. And here's the amazing thing. Some of the things that you see in here, as you're a person of the word, that you struggle with, and it's like, I don't know if that's possible for me. Through the Spirit, I'm supposed to be kind? Are you kidding me? Have you seen the people I work with? Really? No, you're supposed to be kind. That's something that's supposed to be growing in your life. Not to be harsh, not to re reply harshly. Not You see, I'm kind. I don't know if that's possible. Let me tell you something. What seems to be unattainable when you're pursuing the heart of God, all of a sudden, well, I think that can happen. What seemed unattainable now seems attainable. Because it's not about, listen to me, trying to live by rules is just throwing a weight on your back. 
without the heart of God. And you won't make it. I promise you. The underlying relationship growth with God is where then you, and then that's, that's when you find, watch, you'll really discover, oh, wow, his, 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 the burden is easy, and the yoke is actually light, because I'm not just trying to live by a bunch of rules. There's relationship, actually, that all that stuff comes out of. The pursuit of God. Or if you would. So I want you to be a big question asker of God. That was some terrible English right there. Big question asker. And I want you to constantly ask the question, God, what's your heart in this? Why? He welcomes it. Why would I need to be a person of honesty? Why is it a big deal that I'm to have sex before marriage? What's the big deal? You, you can throw anything in there. Why? And let him start to instill his heart in you. Again, it's, it's not overnight. It's a, it's a journey. You're obeying the whole time, but it's a journey. What is the reason? And let him start to draw you close. Instead of fighting with him about it. Really? I don't know. Do I have to? It makes no sense to me. Okay, I get it. Catch his heart. How do you catch his heart? And then you come across stories like we just read. Oh, Jesus didn't let them stone the adulterous woman he actually had mercy on her in the moment didn't let her go in her sin hey don't don't keep doing this that's sin and you start to catch his heart man that doesn't sound like an angry mean God it's just to wipe everybody out because they're imperfect that sounds like somebody who wants them to have life life to the full or, or you, mean, you mean when God came in flesh, he hung out with all the people that the religious people didn't want to hang out with because he wanted to bring life to them? That's pretty amazing. That's the God I serve. By the way, that's how God found me. If he only hung out with the religious people, he had never been with me. As we said last week, he's with James and John, and the Samaritan wouldn't let him come into town, and James and John are like, let's be like Elijah. Can we just call down fire from heaven and burn up all these people? No, you're missing the point of the kingdom of God. Yeah, I know there's a story in the Bible about that, but no, you don't know what spirits you're of. You know I'm getting at? When you read the scriptures, you start to see it. Man, that's amazing. It's mind-boggling. But then, but then with that, then you are consistently approaching him in prayer. And you understand that prayer isn't just me trying to get a bunch of stuff from him. But prayer in its first step is relationship. 
My Father who is in heaven, holy is your name. I want to live for you today. Help me. You know me better than anybody. I need help. And you have to start asking, instead of coming with your list, which you can, bring everything you have to him and give it to him. But you also start doing things like this. Lord, I want to know you more. I want to know your heart. I want to grow. I want to be more like you. Help me. And you understand there, there's a relationship happening. Lord, can I learn your presence? Can I know you? And, and you involve yourself in a way of life that you know true life comes from him. And a whole business about every day, deny yourself anything that would keep you from picking up your cross. Deny it of yourself, that's obedience. You start with obedience, you pick up your cross, begin to follow him. And in that, what you're praying, what you're asking is, okay, I have my life as I live now, but I wanna make a trade. And you start to gain his life by losing yours. Relationship, it's change. And the Christian life isn't a religion I live, though there's religious aspects to it, but it's a life of freedom in Jesus as he intends me to live. That's what it boils down to. So Lord, I want, I want your heart. I want your heart. I, I see the things I should do. I'm, I'm gonna obey, I'm gonna work at this. I want your heart. Change me. Amen? So, as I've been pastoring a long time. If I could make a list of five things that people would catch, this is one of them. Chase the heart of God. Chase it with all your being. And then you'll use your being to Him. You'll turn it over. And you'll find the Christian life, though buffeted here in this world, you'll find it's not always hard to live. You start to see Wow, okay, I, I get that, I get it, I get it. Man, whew, freedom's better than that. Amen? Let's, let's stand up this morning, we'll, we'll close up. The why behind the what? I think we need to commit our hearts to him. Look at me, quit fighting him over stuff. Quit arguing with him. Quit seeing something in the Bible and going, but, but, but. When, when they said that or that was written, they just didn't understand my situation. Because my situation changes that. But, put your butts away. Quit arguing. Quit fighting God. Quit, quit trying. Quit trying to hide stuff from Him, like compartments of your life. He sees it. You're trying to keep stuff from Him. Give it to Him and obey, but then let Him give you His heart. So, so will you, will you this morning, maybe think about something, and with the help of the Holy Spirit, think about something that, yeah, I've been fighting about that. I haven't given myself over in that yet. I've been struggling with this because I don't get it. 
I've been trying to keep this from him. Well, I like it. And just give things over. Obey. I believe he's going to respond and start to grow his heart in you. Amen? Let's do that. Lord, Lord, we again this morning give our entire selves to you. Our thoughts, our motives, actions of our life, reactions to things, we give it all to you. Lord, because living the Christian life is not trying to live it on some way your terms and some way my terms, but living the Christian life is an all-in deal on your terms. And I pray we respond in obedience. Lord, your heart is growing in us. This whole business of why. As this long-term discipleship is being walked out, that we're becoming more like you in all things. But I thank you, Lord, that you loved each one of us so much that you offer this to us. You've come to save us and give us new life. So I thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for each one of us that culminates in the forgiveness of our sins, but I pray now we live in freedom from them. And we do this not just for our benefit, but it's, it's to your glory. It's to your glory. Man, following you and living in relationship with you is to your glory. Because these kind of things are the seeds of our eternity. Relationship with you. I thank you for that. Lord, help each one of us. Help each one of us. Help us. Grow us. Open our eyes to see. Open our ears to hear. Help us. We ask these things, we ask them in, in Jesus' name, by your authority, in Jesus' name. We all say amen. Amen, amen. So how about this, a couple things. If you would like prayer this morning before you go, please come down. We'd love to pray with you. If there's more people here than, than I can deal with, we'll ask some people to help us. Uh, if you're new with us today, by the way, there's little blue... Uh, folders in front of you. There's a little bit about our church. Check it out. And if you want to, there's a, a little get connected card just for information for us, just to connect back with you. You throw that out. Kelly's right here in the front holding her little baby. Give it to her. And she'll help you. Whether or not, be blessed as you go today. Wednesday night, we'll be back. We're still in our series on prayer on Wednesday. Come back for that. We'll be blessed as you go. We love you all. Have a wonderful, wonderful week.